everyone, welcome to another episode of our podcast, The Shift. I'm Shay Candish, the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association's Assistant General Secretary and the host of this show. Midwifery in New South Wales has been in crisis for a number of years. The lack of shift-by-shift ratios compounded by the ongoing COVID-19 crisis has meant that maternity units across the state have been understaffed and midwives have been faced with incredible rates of exhaustion and burnout. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Sarah Morton. Sarah is a dual registered nurse and midwife and is a delegate from the Wollongong branch of the association. Sarah has worked in the health system for the past 10 years as both a nurse and midwife, having recently moved from a midwifery role at her local hospital to become an emergency nurse in the same service. She recently spoke at the association's strike rally about the issues that midwives face in our state. Thanks for joining me today, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Lovely. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? How did you come to be a midwife and uh, what drew you to the profession? That's a really good question. Um, People have always asked me, you know, what got me into midwifery and and nursing. And I think I grew up in a, in Pambula, a small far south coast town with not many people. And uh, I used to do you know, ward rounds before primary school with my dad, who's the local GP obstetrician anaesthetist. And um, I just always wanted to be a nurse. And then because I came from Pambula, you, you just do both. Yeah, like, right. You just, you have that dual registration because you need all those skills. And mm-hmm. I recognise that having all those skills are really helpful because it means if I'm getting burnt out, I can change my role like I did. Yeah. So what was it like? You went and did your first kind of four years Mm. as a registered nurse and then went back and did? No, so I I did my new grad year and then I did a year of casual. Yeah. And then I decided to do my midwifery. So I jumped around a bit, kind of changed every year to 18 months. I changed my role or where I was working or what specialty. And it feels weird to be kind of have a specialty in midwifery after being in it for six years yeah right and so you've worked in a couple of other facilities big Mm -hmm. hospitals like Wollongong obviously Royal Women's you're at Vinnie's private for a while yep Um, so talk to me and Canberra yes yes so talk to me about the difference in kind of what you've experienced in all those different types of hospitals that's a good question I think um Vinnie's private the private system is very different and I think people find pros and cons in that I it didn't work for me. It wasn't quite right. Um, but I did learn how much I loved education because I was in the urology area and there was lots of education for patients and the educator was really on top of everything. And it was, it was really good learning for that. And then casual, I worked at Prince of Wales and that was just a whole nother experience. Mm-hmm. And I was supported to upskill. I could cannulate and venipuncture and you know, as a second year out, they we weren't really doing that at Minnie's Private. Like mm-hmm. that was that was the doctors, and then having more doctors available after hours was just wild. Yeah, um, our after hours, like JMO, I guess you'd call it, or was was technically um, they were skin specialists yeah. <laughs> coming to a gastro ward for a pace call or whatever they had there was just yeah not the same. Um, I think all hospitals seem to have similar issues in the public system. Yeah. Um, but I definitely feel more supported to learn and and grow in the public system. Yeah. And yeah, that's been really good. And what about the difference between like Pambula as a small regional facility yeah. to then, you know, a big tertiary facility? Very different. Um, I didn't 
work in Pambula per se, but my sister did. Yeah. Um, so she's also a dual registered nurse and midwife. Yeah. Um, and there were definitely times back when I was very junior and she was trying to save money. So she was living with mum and dad and working there. And um, they had no one that knew how to do three-way blood irrigation. Mm. So because she trained in Sydney and thankfully, I think she'd already done her emergency nursing by then. Um, she, she may not have actually, but she looked up the policy, spoke to someone from another hospital because that's what you have to do. Yeah. And then did it. Yeah. Because that's what you have to do. Like no one had done it before. Yeah. But this patient needed that care. Yeah. Um, I remember she ironed herself as well for um, a medication error um, and kind of got in trouble <laughs> as well because they were like, oh, no, it's time management law. Oh, <laughs> She's like, it's not. Um, so I think the perception of that has changed a bit, but um, there's definitely a lot of, you know, you hear the horrible stories of rural facilities because it is regional rural it's it's used to have maternity services it used to have a, a kind of proper ed in inverted commas um but that all goes to greater southern or southern general yeah southern. regional yeah yeah um and so there's no babies born at pambula anymore and mm. my understanding i do people from Alacuda still come up because that was their closest hospital so they might have to go to Bega or they might have to go further into victoria yeah um it's just wild that you've got what two registered nurses one working in ed back then and then you'd have to pull one off the floor to come to to help in ed if something traumatic happened yeah it's been the same story over and over through all of the regional facilities we've got the regional rural inquiry happening through parliament at the moment and it's been uh it's exposed lots of those types of issues yeah Mm. it's um it was funny i've been doing my master's in advanced nursing and one of our subjects was talking about um, a hospital in queensland in a regional facility where someone unfortunately passed because they were they they weren't caught between the flags essentially Mm -hmm. and it was you know the lack of staffing the junior staffing the lack of experience the lack of educational opportunities and support and um no vmos on site yeah like yeah and makes it so difficult it's terrifying yeah yeah (laughs) they're not one-off stories no absolutely not so you feel a bit safer in the bigger hospitals yeah but i think that's an illusion yeah so talk to me about what your experience has been like, particularly in maternity. What, what's the care been like and what have you seen over the years of being a midwife? Gosh, over the years, it's definitely changed. I guess when you're a midwifery student, you, you're taking in so much, you don't really have time to um, figure out what's actually going on in the background and work out what things are working and what's not. Um, but then you get out of that and you start seeing the cracks in the system. Um, And I think it's the same old things. I think it's a lack of support, a lack of education. Um, I did my new graduate year in Canberra where there were a lot of Bachelor of Midwifery graduates and they're so well supported. But I think that there are things that are missed in their training. Um, And then when they're new graduates, they're, they're not given that extra support that they may need. And there was extra support I needed too, but Mm-mm. there were things like drips and drains that ha- I happened to be familiar with from years ago. Mm. And then they just needed a little extra support because they're not common in maternity. Mm-mm. And that's still what I see. Yeah. Um, 
And I mean, now, God, we've got one or two midwives working on the floor when there's meant to be six and filling those other spots are, you know, registered nurse, student midwives who need support and supervision. You've got ENs, you've got RNs that aren't studying but look are looking to. And then you've got AINs sometimes. Mm. I mean, we had a shift that was meant to have five on and two registered midwives were off sick or not available and they were replaced with an AIN mm. who was an amazing about to graduate third year nursing student mm. but wasn't a midwife yeah so yeah the breastfeeding the the possible postpartum hemorrhages the normalizing all of the specialty things that we do in midwifery it, it just wasn't there yeah and so this is a ward where we're constantly over census constantly pushed because the poor birthing unit is on their ear because they're also understaffed and for some reason the midwifery students even if they're registered nurses uh, are counted in the numbers so wherever I've worked elsewhere any student midwives are supernumerary yeah. in the birthing unit yeah not here which is just wild mm. how can you do that to women yeah. and the students yeah particularly because their births have to be supervised, right? When right. you're a student and you're studying, yeah. you have to be supervised. So it's not like you can actually be counted as your own FTE in relation to patients from that no. perspective. It's really interesting, isn't it? I was talking with um, another friend of mine on this podcast and mm. we were talking about, you know, you spend the first like four years thinking you're just not good at your job. Yep. <laughs> and then you realize, <laughs> actually, I am good at my job. Like yep. it's the system. The system's broken. Yep. yep. And I think, you know, when you go from site to site and you see the differences, mm -hmm. but also exactly as you said, the issues are mm. pretty much the same. Mm. It's because we have a system-wide problem, yes. right? Like we are understaffing and under-resourcing this system across the whole state. Absolutely. And so what, what does that kind of equate to in care when you're having to, you know, work on the postnatal ward mm. and you've got eight mums, mm. how do you how do you manage the work but what do you miss like what does it actually oh what does it come down to I, I still feel like we miss doing the bare minimum and to me that's you know not just your obs and your, your baby checks but it's normalizing feeding patterns and educating and the thing I love about being a midwife is it's not our role to to do things for women and families but it's our role to have women and families come out confident and competent in their abilities to look after their own baby mm. and to know something's not right I need to get this checked out yeah but there's enough anxiety about having a baby as it is yeah and without being able to give that education and support we can't alleviate that mm. and so it just compounds and then you've got these stressed parents with this terrifying newborn um, that we could have made not scary. Yeah. And when we're failing women in that, like yeah. I've had friends who've had horrible experiences because, you know, they're out at a regional hospital and they've had, you know, they happen to be in labour and they had um, meconium in the lipor and needed to be monitored, but were just left on a monitor and not watched and then pressured to be induced and no one was there to go well, this is what is happening no one was there to sit and watch and see that she was actually in labor yeah and give her time um because there were other emergencies going on yeah and she was 
stoked because she's finally got to see a nice midwife but that's only when she got an epidural and the baby's heartbeat dropped mm, and then gosh. she was kind of left again yeah and it's not the fault of the midwives because they're just on their ear and and they're trying to do everything but these women are getting lost in this system and their their experiences break them and then they have to mother mm. like what it just it's pretty baffling, oh. isn't it? Um, there's been, I'd be curious to get your take on this, but mm. I understand there's been a bit of an increase in um, the numbers of people that have got associated birth trauma as well. Yes, uh, And I was talking with a child and family health nurse recently, and she was saying the number of women that she's seeing who have got pretty substantial tears. Oh, yeah. um, and from her perspective, it's because of the lack of supervision and support through the birthing process that those two things are playing out yeah. now. Um, because we're not being able to, to coach women through that birthing yeah. and to normalize what they're what they're hap- like what's Absolutely. happening um and to help them through you know a supported birth where mm-hmm. they have good outcomes yep. um rather than coming away being injured and you know from what what i hear some of the injuries have been pretty significant yep. not like what you would expect yeah. in you know a australian hospitals country. yeah exactly um there's some new research actually by hannah darlin about having two midwives at the birth reduces significant perineal trauma wow um and we know that continuity of care also does so this fragmented system that we've got um you can still have a beautiful birth and not have a significant tear mm-hmm. in, in gp shared care or, or whatever but not having somewhere that someone there in your labor with you that you develop a rapport with and trust that's that's the thing mm. like if we're missing that rapport and trust then why, why would you listen to them at the end of your birth? You're yeah. Just, you're scared and you've been alone and you just want this to be over. Yeah. Um, and, like, again, it's not a failure of the midwives. They've got two women at once, which is just a joke. You're meant to have one midwife to one woman in labour. Yeah. And then you see these assessment rooms that are filling up and it's just not possible to do one-on-one care. Yeah. But that's that's our standard that we're meant to meet. Yeah. And somehow we're just not meeting that. And then it's the midwives and the women that are that are getting broken by this. Yeah. It's really interesting. So I've had two babies, both mm. at Wollongong Hospital, very different experiences. One was in um, the MGP, mm-hmm. the group practice program, which was amazing. That was my second baby. The first one was through um, GP shared care, which wasn't bad, but it was really bitsy would mm. be my analysis. And I'm not a midwife. So mm. I didn't really know for my first labor what to expect either. So it was really interesting. Um, but the reason I draw that out is uh, my experience of trying to get into MGP was mm. that it was really challenging at that's really limited spaces Um, and it was such a wonderful service it just you know struck me as being so bizarre that we don't offer it for everyone Mm. Um, and so I want to dive into the work that um, the local community group does because I know you work really closely with better births at the hospital Uh, can you talk about how that came to be and what what they're kind of fighting for so gosh was it five or six years ago that we started getting really engaged with better births going this isn't okay the care we're giving on the maternity wards not okay and while we've got different long-term goals I think but similar if that makes sense um the issues at hand were the understaffing on the maternity ward um 
and they came to the party and they came and supported us and you know they want to normalize birth they want active birth active labors woman-centered care which is a hundred percent what we're all going for Mm. um and so they were such a good turning point because we felt like the midwives weren't being listened to but the community was yeah if the community wasn't happy then they made some noise and something changed yeah so we've got some stuff and they're a great group like they're still around they're so active they're just an incredible group of you know women um that have come together that Mm -hmm. really are pushing the agenda on what normal birthing can look like and what the hospital and lhd's role is in providing those services yes because it is the system's responsibility Mm. to provide the services that the community needs it's public health and so you've ended up with like a whole overhaul of the delivery suite. Yes. Yeah, a beautiful renovation. Um, the rooms are much nicer. Um, there's baths available. There's rebozo hooks. There's, you know, exercise balls and peanut balls. And midwives are being upskilled in active birth techniques by our um, clinical midwifery consultant. And, you know, women can go to those courses too. And it's it's just empowering the midwives with education, just mm. like we've talked about, yeah. Um, as well as empowering the women, and so we come together on this, and the outcomes can can improve. Mm. So, and so having the you know community groups like Better mm. Birds, I think, have really dri- driven the agenda to be able to achieve like really significant outcomes in places where you know there were lots of issues. Definitely. Which is why I guess in relation to the campaigning work that we mm. do, even more broadly around ratios, we often work with community groups yeah. as well because there's things that we're really aligned on. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think it's a really beautiful example of like local campaigning where you can have good outcomes. Oh, absolutely, mm. and they're they're still joining us on any of our campaigns and things so yeah great they we're still in contact with them regularly yeah nice mm. oh that's really good mm. so talk to me about I understand you've recently started working in ED <laughs> yes uh, and so talk to me about how you came to make that decision and what that kind of transition was like for you so I was getting burnt out I think on the maternity ward I was getting sick of the same old thing and nothing changing and and just you know all your colleagues just being down because we can't provide the care we want for women Mm -hmm. and it's heartbreaking and you try and do things and management tries and does things and you know it's a statewide system failure Mm. and it's just heartbreaking um and I think being pregnant myself now I'm realizing how much it really means to give the right care and I just felt like I couldn't yeah um and not that ED is easy but to be honest it's been easier than the maternity ward and that makes me laugh (laughs) as an emergency nurse the prospect of you thinking that that was easier just makes my mind kind of explode to be honest the number of chats I had in the tea room about oh why'd you leave maternity why'd you leave midwifery because it's better here (laughs) even when you've got 45 patients in the waiting room some of which are admitted and have been for 30 hours yeah it's still somehow maybe it's the mental load maybe it's the guilt yeah um I have a different level of guilt in ED yeah um but I feel I, I don't know maybe you feel more responsible in maternity or because there's only five staff that are meant to be on you notice the the shortfalls more than you know in ED where there's meant to be 25 and you're eight down yeah. somehow the scale feels a bit different yeah yeah and yeah just that it, 
it's challenged my brain in a different way. So I've missed my general nursing. Um, so it's been fun to get back to that. And I realized, like you said, you feel like you don't know anything mm. after your first four years. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, actually, I know stuff. Yeah. Because I didn't go down there and go, oh, you know, I've been a midwife for this long and a nurse for this long because I didn't realize it had been 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you just, you go and you learn and you, you do things and, you know, there'd be women that would come in with, with bleeding and I was extra trained to help with that. So it's kind of like I could do my calling and then I could do the other things and, you know, have a bit of banter and then that's it and it's quick and you don't, you know, you don't get too hung up on things as much as you can up on a ward because ward nursing and midwifery is different. Um, but maternity is just that next level because you're constantly busy. It's none of this oh, night shift downtime because yeah. babies are up all times. Yeah. And women are crying at, you know, any time between. Mostly in the night yeah. was my recollection. I was going to say <laughs> mostly at night. So, like, you're doing all the feeding things and reassurance and, and pain relief. And, God, it is heartbreaking after a woman's had to have an emergency Caesar for whatever reason and we can't get there to give pain relief Yeah, because we're stuck with our other 10 patients on a night shift Yeah, or, you know, 12. You've got half a ward and you're working with an RN or an EN or an AON and somehow you're meant to do all of the postnatal care for this woman. Make sure she's not bleeding. Make sure her nipples are intact and, you know, she's getting good attachment or she knows how to feed via a bottle. Like whatever it is for her, mm. you have to try and give this individualised care to 12 women as well as make sure their 12 babies mm. are okay. And that's assuming that the women and the babies are all pretty well. Right? Yeah. But most of them aren't. Yeah. Some of them are on IV antibiotics and they're going to the nursery every so often to get those. I know in other hospitals, they're qualified babies and you give the IV antibiotics on the ward. Yeah. Um, you've got, you know, your top up supplemental feeds or you've got your hypoglycemic babies that need just so much extra care. It's, you can't do it. Yeah. It's not possible to do everything in a shift, but it's also not really possible to do everything in 24 hours. Yeah. Because you just don't have the numbers. So this is obviously what sparked you to be one of the speakers in our mm. most recent rally. I'm Sarah. I'm a nurse and midwife and I work at Wollongong Branch. Now I know our nurses are struggling. It is awful out there. But how is it for the midwives and the women and the babies? We continue to work in unacceptable conditions managing excessive workloads, increased sick leave, increased overtime and compassion fatigue. And we self-manage that by talking to our hospital executive, by taking leave. And now that's being stopped. Talk to me about the experience that you had on the day oh. and, you know, what made you think it was worth kind of getting up there and being one of the faces of the rally? I think it felt really important being a midwife up there because you like it's you a different there, profession yeah. too right 100%. like nursing and midwifery a different profession 100% and I knew someone was there to talk about nursing there were several people with all different ranges and experiences and um and specialties but no one like I don't think I've heard many people speak specifically about midwifery at these things mm. and 
standing up there, like if, if anyone was there, you know how empowering it felt. Like I, even one of our educators from ED said he loved it because it was just, you, you got the vibe and you, the camaraderie and yeah. it was just so powerful just to be there. Babies aren't counted in our staffing numbers. to provide the minimum, the bare minimum standard of care that our women and babies deserve. The pride we used to feel in where we work and serving our community is dwindling because we are embarrassed by how broken the system is. It was really nice to be up there and there were people at the front and then elsewhere that were in their purple shirts and they had their midwifery signs and stuff. And it just, it, it made me feel really proud to be up there and speaking for women and midwives Yeah, because it, it's, you don't speak for one or the other. Yeah. If you're speaking for midwives, you're speaking for the improvement of care for women and babies. And if you're speaking for the improvement of care for women and babies, you're speaking for the improvement in work conditions for midwives yeah and it just it was really nice it was really inclusive and I just it you had to do it like yeah. it's just wild it sure is <laughs> and so you're right like it's hard to believe that despite all of that the government didn't listen mm -hmm. but they haven't mm -mm. and so we're going again next week yep. and so what are you hoping for next week more <laughs> <laughs> um I believe we're going to have a Wollongong rally because there was a lot of people keen and mm -hmm. we're you know we're a labor town we are um we have a bit of power and sway down here but we are a pretty safe labor seat let's yeah keep it. yeah um we're also you know are we are we metropolitan are we regional what are we <laughs> Yeah, look, it feels like we're absorbed into the metro when it suits mm. and then when it doesn't suit, then we're regional. Yeah, so COVID, if we're, if we're going by COVID times, yeah. then we're metro. So yeah. how about we get some of that metro funding and yeah. improve our services, considering Wollongong is the regional referral hospital here. Yeah. Um, women are coming up from Shoalhaven. Um, you know, obviously Shoalhaven, Milton, all of our other hospitals, they need the support too. Yeah. It is not just Wollongong. But if we could improve Wollongong to provide the care for those people that need that extra level, then maybe we can take some pressure off. Maybe we can get some more staff down there. I don't know. I think the challenge is really to push for system-wide solutions 100%. like we were talking about. So, you know, we've been doing a lot of work um, with a whole bunch of kind of activists across the state. Mm. And the thing we've been talking a lot about is, you know, we don't get a win in maternity unless we get a win in emergency. Correct. And we don't get a win in Sydney unless we get a win in Bega or Burke or yeah. every other place. Yeah. And so we need for members to understand that when we push for those mm -hmm. solutions we have to have solutions everywhere yes. and they have to be focused on all of the specialties so 100%. that we've got proper care being delivered regardless of where patients are going yeah. um because that's the challenge we have at the moment right like mm. we know even in places where we've got some variation of nhppd it's flawed it doesn't work yeah. uh, and that's sort of the staffing system that exists now yeah. um but it does draw disparities between different sites dependent upon whether it's regional or metro etc yeah. and so yeah. we need a consistent system that yeah. actually delivers regardless of where people live 100 percent yeah because if like if you go by birth rate plus for maternity 
So our maternity ward uses nurses. So how do you go birth rate plus for the after birth care? Yeah. And then regional hospitals or rural hospitals where, you know, once a year you'd have one of these horrible emergencies and you may not capture that on the birth rate plus data. Yeah. So having ratios standardized for the entire state would just make sense. Yeah. And be safer. And we're in a situation now where we've got ratios in Queensland, Victoria, mm-hmm. ACT. Mm-hmm. The incoming South Australian government that just won the election on the weekend have also committed to ratios. So it's just New South Wales now falling behind. Again. You know, we're really in a situation where we talk about this gold class health system. Yep. But the reality is all of the states around us are bypassing us in the level of care that's being delivered. Yep. So we need to push for better. Yeah, Absolutely. So the 31st of March, it's a call to arms. We are going on strike. The votes are happening as we speak and it's looking as though uh, we'll be ready to go. So if you're hearing this, get involved, check out the NSWNMA website, talk to your local branch, find out where your local rally is uh, and get involved and come on strike with us because we need to push the government to really uh, make make a a significant change in the health system. Mm -hmm. We need to see that we get ratios everywhere. Um, And, you know, the last strike we went on was awesome. All it got us was a visit to the Premier's office and, you know, a discussion where he said, we'll have an internal chat and see how we go. Uh, And that's it. So we have to force them to come to the table and really deliver healthcare reform that gives us sustainable, high quality care in places like maternity, but all of the other specialties as well. It's not just maternity. That's the thing. And we know that. Um, But just everywhere is just broken yeah and then the staff are yeah staff are done yeah and it's been coming for 10 years yeah so mr perrottet if you're hearing this come on give us ratios it's time it's nice that he thanked uh the midwives that looked after his wife for his seventh baby but uh where was he do you know i have no idea i'm very intrigued but he did say thank you to the midwives so it makes me wonder if he wasn't fully private look when we went um to go and talk with him Mm. hazard and him they were both much more like tuned in to the issues in relation Mm. to midwifery icu um like there were a couple of areas but also hazard says well we just won't do ratios like we just don't accept it we've heard from other states that they should never have agreed to it like there's no evidence of that no one's ever said that publicly and he won't say who said it so we, we don't think it's true um but yeah like Clearly, we've made enough headway in some specialties yeah. where they do think that it does, you know, regional, like they mm. were quite tuned into those issues, but not enough to deliver us a solution. That's yeah. the problem. So we're just going to keep the, you know, yeah. keep the fire to their feet. I mean, there's a reason, you know, you lose a workload or, or a workforce if you decrease education, yeah. and decrease spaces at uni and you know, remove midwifery from the local university. Mm. You're not going to make more staff or train more nurses if you don't give those positions. So if we had ratios, we'd be able to bring that all up. Yeah, It would take a while. Of course. It would take a hot minute, but yeah, worth it. Absolutely. And it's the hope that we need to see. That's it. All right. Thank you for your time, Sarah. It's been a pleasure having you uh, and look forward to catching up with you on the 31st. Yes. We'll be right back after a quick word about the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association's Continuing Professional Education Scheme. 
Did you know that the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association members can access over 60 CPD courses for free? Just log on to Member Central on the Association website to find out more. That's nswnma.asn.au. And if you're not yet a member, join today and get access to these courses straight away. That's it for this episode of The Shift with Shay. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sarah and look forward to seeing you in a fortnight with more stories from the world of nursing and midwifery. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also follow the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn so you can stay up to date with our services and campaigns. This podcast was recorded on Indigenous land. We acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening to this podcast. This land was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land.